You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute, millions of babies are born every year, and those babies don't only need love and attention, they need names. So can you just name a baby whatever you want? Most of us tuned in to watch the Super Bowl yesterday, and not all of us for the game itself. We examined the numbers on the food we consumed, the halftime show we watched, the advertisements we saw, and the money behind all of it. Ten years ago, something very strange happened in the National Basketball Association. An undrafted, unknown player by the name of Jeremy Lin took the league and, honestly, the entire world by storm. We're talking Lin's sanity a decade later. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. Jay, we are both fathers. So we've both been faced with the difficult task of helping to name your kid. Now you have three kids, all boys. What was the naming process like for you and your wife, Liz? Uh, So we downloaded an app, which was pretty cool, uh, that it was kind of like, it was almost like Tinder for baby names. They would show <laughs> you a baby name and you would swipe right or left on it, but uh, you okay. hooked your account. I was wondering account. where that was going, but yeah, I got you now. <laughs> You hooked your account to your spouse and they did the same thing and then it would tell you if you matched. Well, we obviously picked Leo for our son because of Leonardo DiCaprio. K- kidding, kidding, kidding. It was the blue Ninja Turtle. Kidding again! We just picked it because it was a little unique and we liked it. Some parents opt to use a family name, like my name, for example, David, was my grandfather's name. Now, it'll always be a little funny to me that even though I was named after my my grandfather, my dad's brother, so my uncle, his name is also David, and so we both have the same name, David Traub, which my parents claim did not cross their mind, so... May still need therapy for that one. Identity crisis. Other people, though, Jay, follow the biblical route, naming their kids Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then they name their daughter Esther. While some other people go for the, um, uh, let's just call it original route. Now, as a high school teacher by day, I am sure... (laughs) That you have many a strange name come through your classroom. We're at this time now where the kids that are coming into my classroom were born about 14, 15 years ago. And so I'm realizing that, like, especially girl names were really popular that ended in Y. So a lot of, like, Haley, Bailey, uh, you know, stuff like that. And then um, I'm getting a lot of Nevaehs. Like, that was real big about 15 years ago, like taking heaven and spelling it backwards. Well, it's seriously hilarious to me, and no offense to someone who's named this, but it's hilarious to me that eventually we will have some 85-year-old men running around this planet that are named Declan. <laughs> or what so, about, like, like, if our president like, hey, is Pop, named Pop Declan? Paul Declan's coming over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is our president, and his, his name's uh, Braden. But Jay, when it comes to naming our children, do we have full autonomy? Can the hospital deny us parents the right to name our children whatever we want? Well, maybe. In the U.S., we have a ton of leeway. 
Certain states, though, have restrictions. Like most states ban names with obscenities, and states like Arizona enforce strict character limits, meaning uh, 141 letters is the limit that you can have for your name. So that's 45 letters in your first name, 45 letters in your middle, and 45 letters in your last. Arizona will allow no more letters than that. But only a couple names, Jay, are banned in the entire U.S. with Jesus Christ, Adolf Hitler, Santa Claus, and the at symbol (laughs) being among them. Other countries, though, have some really strict rules when it comes to naming your offspring. In places like Iceland and Denmark, for example, parents have to choose from a list of government pre-approved baby names. If you want to name your child something original, you have to submit for prior approval. This is probably for the best, though, as some of the recent names that have been rejected include Anus, Pluto, Monkey, and Lucifer. (laughs) Biotechnologist David Taylor analyzed the Social Security database in 2018 to see what names have been the most popular in the U.S. for the longest amount of time. Taylor eventually landed on the name Linda as the trendiest and most popular name in the U.S. for a long time period, a time period spanning 1880 to 2018. In Saudi Arabia, though, you can't name your kid Linda. Names like Linda are banned for being deemed too foreign-sounding. Also on the banned list in Saudi Arabia, Lauren and Sandy. In Mexico, Mexican officials ban names that they deem are discriminatory or lack meaning. The list of banned names has over 60 entries on it, including Rambo, Robocop, Facebook, and Harry Potter. Some names weren't on official banned lists, probably because who in the right minds would name their child such a thing. But alas, here we are on that list. Osama bin Laden. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> well, because Just of in this. Case. <laughs> after 9-11, a Turkish couple living in Germany felt the need to name their child after the international terrorist bin Laden. German officials banned the name under the German naming guideline that bans names that would lead to future humiliation for the child. What about the French couple, though, in 2015 that planned to name their baby Prince William? Nope. The courts determined that it would open up the child to, quote, a lifetime of mockery. Not to be deterred, though, the same couple decided to settle on their second choice, the much more appropriate name of Minnie Cooper. (laughs) (laughs) And not allowed again. The same court denied Minnie Cooper. They denied a name to the couple for the second time, and hopefully they then took that child and put it into state-protected custody. So, Jay, really, what is the point of all of this? Your name is just such an important part of your life. It defines you in many ways. And parents have the unique responsibility to at least, I don't know, try to be reasonable. Just think about your child applying for that first job. There's a big difference between, welcome to the firm, Henry. We're happy to have you. And welcome to the firm, Tallulah does the hula from Hawaii, a real band name from New Zealand. We're happy to have you. You know, I thought this was America. You know, if I, if I want to name my kid Santa Claus, I mean, who who can say no? Is this the America we've built? So, as you're waking up on Monday morning and joining us, uh, this is the day after the Super Bowl. And Dave, I know that you live for the Super Bowl. You love hosting a Super Bowl party at your house. You know, you love kind of circling the room and offering people snacks and 
uh, you know, setting up the table and everything. Like it's, it's your thing. You love the Super Bowl. I do. I love to host. It's, uh, just in me. It's just, you, I feel like you either have it or you don't. I just, I'm wired that way. Things have changed with kids. You know, the, the parties are smaller, which I'm okay with. I, I've adjusted to that life. But yes, I love it. And the Super Bowl, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. My team's never in it. So I just have to kind of celebrate for other reasons. You know, football fan or not, uh, the Super Bowl, it's a cornerstone of American culture. Whether you watch it for the game or you're just there for the food and the parties or you watch it for the halftime show or for the commercials. Uh, We've had a Super Bowl since 1967 uh, when the Green Bay Packers took on the Kansas City Chiefs. 60 million people tuned into that game broadcast. And today, about an estimated 100 million people tune in regularly for the game. In 2020, the National Chicken Council, which is a thing that does exist, projected that Americans would eat 1.4 billion chicken wings over Super Bowl weekend. And according to the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, Super Bowl Sunday is the second highest day of food consumption in the U.S. behind only, you guessed it, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. $1.2 billion will be spent on beer 8 million pounds of guacamole will be dipped, and 11.2 million pounds of potato chips will be eaten. Now, while many of us tune in for the game, people almost always tune in for the famous lineup of Super Bowl advertisements. And if you want to advertise your product, well, Dave, you better get your checkbook ready. A 30-second Super Bowl ad this year cost $6.5 million because of the sheer number of viewers that an ad placed during the game can reach, a 195% price increase over the last 20 years. Now, as far as the halftime show goes, there has been con- contradictory reports for years on how much an artist can make from performing. But according to the New York Times, Dave, the NFL actually does not pay artists an appearance fee. So last night's performance that featured Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Mary J. Blige, and Kendrick Lamar, a combined star power of 44 Grammy wins and hundreds of millions of record sales, essentially netted the stars no money from the NFL itself. So then why do it? Well, while the NFL may not pay the artists individually, it does fit the entire bill for the show itself, a performance so grand in scale that estimates put the cost of pulling off a halftime show somewhere around the ballpark of a million dollars per minute. That sort of grand exposure might not equal a check directly from the league, but it will translate to very real growth for those artists. Streams of the weekend's songs rose 69% after he headlined last year's Super Bowl. And Spotify reports that J-Lo and Shakira's streams went up 335% and 230% respectively after their joint performance in 2020. And Justin Timberlake's music sales skyrocketed by 534% after his 2018 appearance. Data also shows that tickets to concerts of artists who are on tour following a Super Bowl halftime show appearance tend to sell at a significantly higher rate. Now, while the halftime artists don't get paid, the players on the field do. Last year, each player on the winning Tampa Bay Buccaneers team received a $150,000 bonus check, and each player on the losing Kansas City Chiefs roster netted a $75,000 bonus check. And in addition to that, winners get a coveted Super Bowl ring that costs a minimum of $35,000 to make and can sell for way more than that. 
So what about the people who come to watch the game? Well, the average price of a Super Bowl ticket on the resale market in 2022 was a whopping $9,843, and that is a 21% increase from 2021. In fact, Dave, the average price of attending the Super Bowl has increased by nearly $3,000 in just the last five years. So if the Cowboys ever get to the big game, you may have to move some money around to get to go. So how does the Super Bowl affect the economy as a whole? Well, $1 billion were legally gambled during the Super Bowl. 17 million people called off work today, which amounts to around $4 billion in lost productivity for the economy. And Los Angeles County raked in about $478 million in economic benefits for hosting last night's game in their new SoFi Stadium. That has an estimated cost of about $5.5 billion. So adding it all together, Dave, Uh, This game, well, there's a lot of money involved here from pretty much every end. And uh, the cultural payout, I don't know how much uh, it's worth it, but uh, it comes down to that we love the Super Bowl and we spend a lot on the Super Bowl and we consume a lot during the Super Bowl. You know, you brought up how much it costs to run a commercial. And so I looked up, what's the worst (laughs) Super Bowl (laughs) commercial of all time? But it's almost a consensus that the worst Super Bowl commercial of all time happened in 2015, and it was from Nationwide Insurance. So they ran a commercial that was uh, using their tagline, Make Safe Happen. The ad was narrated by a young boy listing all of the things, getting cooties on the bus, learning how to ride a bike, etc., that he would never be able to do. Why, you ask? I couldn't grow up because I died from an accident, the boy says while staring straight into the camera. The commercial then ends with shots of a bathtub overflowing with water and an open cabinet door and cleaning supplies exposed. Yikes, man. (laughs) Whoa. I I don't like it when uh, brands try to get like real emotional to try to appeal to you. So all of a sudden it'll be like dark screen and it'll be like, we've all had a hard year and there's like a piano in the background. So keep buying from us, Walmart or something like that. It's just like, all right. Jay, does the term Linsanity register with you? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I remember, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not really like a huge NBA guy. Like I'm relatively plugged in, but you know, Linsanity was, uh, was Linsanity. I mean, it was a cultural phenomenon at the time. and Yes, it was everywhere. Ten years ago, an undrafted and relatively unknown basketball player of Asian descent from Harvard named Jeremy Lin took the NBA world by storm. The rise was brief, but Jay, it was fierce. And its legacy is a mixture of human interest and cultural significance. In case you don't remember all the details of Linsanity, and since a decade has now passed, the basic story goes like this. As I mentioned, in 2010, a basketball player from Harvard named Jeremy Lin went undrafted in that year's NBA draft. After a nice summer league, which is basically a chance for NBA rookies to get some game action in, and undrafted players like Jeremy Lin to make a last-ditch effort to get signed by an NBA team. So after a strong summer league showing, Jeremy Lin signed a free agent contract, basically like a minor league deal, with the Golden State Warriors. Well, as players who find themselves in that position are prone to do, Lin bounced around among a bunch of G League NBA teams. Once again, the G League is basically the minor leagues of the NBA before finally landing with the New York Knicks in late 2011. And then, Jay, on February 4th, 2012, it happened. 
The Knicks, a struggling team that was playing its third game in as many nights, called up Lynn to the big leagues, and they told him, get ready to play. So much stuff had to come together at the right moment. My back was against the wall, Jeremy Lynn told the ringer. That was going to be it for me. My agent had actually called me before the game and said, if you don't play well tonight, this will probably be your last game in the NBA. Well, what happened next for Jeremy is the stuff of Disney lore or perhaps a made-for-TV movie. Lynn came off of the bench and scored 25 points, leading the Knicks to a much-needed win. The next night, Lynn scored 28, another Knicks win. Then came the Los Angeles Lakers, led by superstar the late Kobe Bryant. Lynn scored 38 points, including a dagger three-pointer in front of the Lakers coaching staff. (laughs) All in all, Jay, Jeremy Lynn scored 136 points in his first five NBA starts, the most still in NBA history. Lynn had gone from sleeping on friends' couches to the front cover of Sports Illustrated. He even landed on Time Magazine's list of the world's 100 most influential people. Lin, the first American-born NBA player of Chinese or Taiwanese descent, had resurrected the Knicks and won the hearts of the entire world. But Jay Lin's success, mixed with untimely injuries, would end up haunting him for the rest of his nine-year NBA career. He could never find the Lin sanity magic again. He was never more than an NBA role player after that, and the shadow of his brief yet dominant stretch in February of 2012 had made him a symbolic figure for Asian Americans and Asians around the world, whether he wanted to be that or not. Len Sanity was the first time that Asians had found something that we could collectively celebrate and rally around, journalist Jeff Yang told The Ringer. If you went to those games and you looked around at the percentage of people in the arena who were Asian American, it was quadrupled. Everywhere you looked, there were Asian Americans. They were holding signs. They were screaming. They were wearing Jeremy's number and his name. For us, it was like this assembly of community in a time when there weren't necessarily other things to unite us. Lynn's career average was just over 11 points per game in the NBA, with his best year coming in the year of Lynn's sanity in 2012. And while he did make plenty of money during his nine-year career, he struggled on and off with depression as he adjusted to a post-Linsanity life. As for Jeremy Lin now, well, he's tried to make an NBA comeback a couple of times, but he settled into being a very good player in the Chinese Basketball Association, the CBA. This Jay has helped Jeremy Lin finally make peace with the word that both made him a public figure and almost ruined his life 10 years ago. Even when Jeremy would talk about Linsanity to me in the years after, he would never actually say the term Linsanity, ESPN's Pablo Torre told The Ringer, referencing to those early post-Linsanity years. He would always call it this euphemism, like he would refer to it as New York, like when New York happened. And over the years since then, particularly since he left the NBA, he has been so remarkably public in his introspection and thoughtful. He's somebody who sees the value of his platform far more than I ever thought he would. And this is what makes sports great, you know? Uh, Sports at the end of the day are just a game is true. It is just a game. You know, you're passing a ball around or you're throwing a ball around. It's uh, inherently, it it is meaningless, but what gives it meaning is that it brings people together and it unites people and it uh, causes us to kind of find things uh, in other people to 
to bond over and have experiences with. You know, Jeremy Lin has had a lot of fascinating hairstyles through the years. Uh, he actually had like dreadlocks at, at one point, but it was, I think, his hairstyle with the Charlotte Hornets that sticks in, in my mind. So it was shaved on the sides and really, really long on top and stuck straight up. It was like a mohawk, but more like a wall. You know, if you're that famous, though, you can just kind of try stuff. Like, you can just kind of be like, you know what, Like let's just do something totally crazy and let's just see if it catches on. And that's it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out. We're on social. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jay Sisson, I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week.